This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Robert Glazer is CEO of Acceleration Partners, a global performance marketing agency, and he's the author of Elevate, Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself and Others. Under Bob's leadership, Acceleration Partners has become a recognized global leader in the affiliate marketing industry, receiving numerous industry and company culture awards. Bob was ranked number two in Glassdoor's list of top CEOs of small and medium companies in the United States. That's a competitive list and quite an accomplishment. He publishes a weekly inspirational newsletter, to which I subscribe. It's called Friday Forward, and he's the host of the Elevate podcast. Bob is also a proud University of Pennsylvania alum, and this is his second time on our show. We talk about how the intensity and stress of Bob's early experiences as an entrepreneur and father brought him to the brink of breakdown and compelled him to find creative methods for strengthening his capacity to lead. His relentless curiosity about mastering the challenges of leadership in his life has resulted in his finding his voice as a business philosopher expressed in his weekly Friday Forward essays and in his book, Elevate, and in this podcast episode that you're about to hear, Bob describes and illustrates his essential insights about building capacity in the spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional aspects of life. And he provides some very helpful tips for how to pursue such growth. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast. And if you do, if you haven't yet done so, please subscribe and tell your friends to do so. We'd also appreciate it if you rated it on iTunes or wherever you're listening so others are more likely to find it and enjoy it as well. All right now, get set to listen to and learn from a reflective entrepreneur about how to grow as a leader for better performance in all parts of life. It's Bob Glazer. Bob Glazer, welcome back to Work and Life. Thanks, Stu. I uh, appreciate uh, making the, the second trip. Well, it's our pleasure to have you here. So when you were on the show last, we talked about well, your philosophy of leadership and management and how you've created what Glassdoor is, you know, has referred to and, not, and named as a, a great place to work. And, and we're, we're going to get back to some of that. But since then, the reason I, I asked you to come back You've published a book, Elevate. So let's get into that. What inspired you to write Elevate, Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself and Others? Uh, it's a good question because it was not the book I set out to write, which I think is probably true for, for a lot of people. After Friday Ford um, took off and, and, and the audience really grew, I realized I had some of these earlier messages, kind of like the earlier, you know, unreleased uh, songs that I, I thought were pretty good that I thought would be, people would want to read. Um, I, and so I set out to write a compilation. And I, and I was actually talking to, a, 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 and it was going to be called um, Friday Ford, 52 Weeks of Inspiration, mm-hmm. and sort of the story behind the, that. And I talked to a bunch of agents and they all said, yeah, it's great, but no one likes compilations. And I heard that four or five times. And then you know, one agent who who eventually became my agent said, gave the same advice, <laughs> but he said, but I, but I think there's a story here, um, mm-hmm. and I think you should you know figure out what the story is, and and so I I, I sort of stepped back and and tried to realize what what was 
you know, how my life had changed over the time since I started um, writing these Friday Forwards over the four years, how our business had changed, and and sort of the impact um, that, that, that I, it was making on people I hadn't met, and, and, and our leadership strategy of really building people up holistically. Mm-hmm. Also looked at, like, a lot of the people I admired, high achievers, kind of what, what were the themes, and, and it all led me to the same road. And then originally it was kind of the eight phases. I actually rewrote the book twice uh, over two years uh, and eventually really settled on that that these four capacities after talking to a lot of people, bouncing it off, and, and, and realizing that this was, the, this was essentially, it was the same framework. What we had used as a leadership development strategy was the same that I had used to sort of elevate my own personal professional life and it was actually all the Friday Fords fell into that one or more of those categories and it is how they had an impact on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's actually how it all came together. I, I cannot say it was <laughs> intentional or designed in any way. It was actually it was, it was a fair amount of struggle along the way. Well, it always is. Um, my, yeah. The first major book that I wrote, uh, the one that's had the longest lasting impact, was Total Leadership in 2008 was when it was published, but I submitted the first manuscript uh, copy in 2001. Uh, wow. Oh, no, wait, 2002. So, you know, years of revision and revision. It takes a lot to get to, to really kind of chip away all the stone and get at the, the thing that's underneath there that, that you, you're trying to reveal. And, of course, that requires a lot of help and input from other people, which you got. So... Yeah, I got, I got a lot of lot of pressure testing, but I knew when I figured it out and when I had it that it was it was the right uh-huh. framework, and I could sort of back test it against all these things. I think like a lot of frameworks, um, it, it is nothing totally new. I mean, nothing, nothing is totally new, but I, I think it helped a lot of people mm-hmm. really put some vernacular and understand things that they sort of intuitively understood, and and, and then but gave them a clearer way to actually act on them or understand yes. where they might be having challenges. Yeah, and we're going to get into the, these four capacities and the and some of the uh, action uh, indications or uh, uh, imperatives that that you suggest come out of uh, your your work in pulling this together that I think are very practical, very useful. Uh, but you said that your life and your business had changed as a result of your doing uh, the Friday Forwards. Uh, can you say a little bit more about how your life and your business changed? Yeah, our business, um, it, it all sort of happened. The Friday Forwards came out of actually an experience where I had gone to a pretty deep um, leadership. I had two experiences, um, and I talked about in the book. One was uh, an exercise of teaching someone who, who had a whole framework about finding your why, and then months later I went to a, a pretty intensive leadership um, uh, sort of academy retreat as part of entrepreneurs organization and, and, and came out of that really kind of determined to articulate my core values, figure out where mm-hmm. I wanted to go, begin to align all the things in my uh, life around um, those core values. And as I started to do that and align my business, uh, everything just started to move a little bit faster and um, started to uh, really achieve at a level, I think that was higher than I had been doing. I think if you look back and, you know, most of the stuff that you read before, uh, <laughs> a lot of the words, a lot of this stuff is really in the last five or five or six years. Um, so I don't think it's a coincidence that, that um, all of those things sort of happen at the same time. I think I sort of, I figured out my my personal playbook, what what I wanted, what authentic leadership, you know, meant for me, and 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 then I sort of built my 360 uh, or total leadership kind of model around that. So it was it was really clarifying your own sense of purpose and what you stood for that helped to um, accelerate, did it not? And this is something I, I often talk to my students and clients about is how important it is to step back, to slow down in order to be able to speed up, that you've got to you know, take a, a look at what matters, where you've been, where you really want to go in order to get there uh, faster. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And, and, and you know, we've, we've now are building out leadership training within an organization sort of modeled against my own experience. And, and I think when you're, when you're, when you're growing a high growth startup, you get about you know, five years for every year, dog years, and sort of the, the, the speed of having to evolve yourself um, a, a, as a leader. 
um, from, you know, managing one or two people in my life to then managing, you know, having 10 or hundreds that, that not managing, but, but sort of uh, in, in the organization under me. And, and I think what a lot of managers or leaders do is, is, is what I call this best practices approach, which makes total sense. So, so you're elevating leadership role. I see that Sue does this. I see that Jane does this and Sarah does that. And I, and I amalgamate a bunch of these things and I try them on and, and some of them feel right and some of them don't, but I, I you know, I, I appreciate this, this person that did it. And I, I don't think until you really kind of strip down, I think you actually need to go through that process because I, in order to a little bit test. And, and I think, you know, we, we, we kind of elevate at this time in our professional lives corresponding with sort of age when I think you actually start to think about some of these things, although I'd argue earlier is better. Um, and you realize that, like, ah, that's not me. Like, that's Stu, but that's that's not that's not me. Uh, and 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 you sort of you try those things on, and then and I think the next level of leadership, and this probably correlates a little bit to like the Jim Collins five stages, is is when you've tried these things on or you've had a few reps, and then you kind of really figure out authentically who you are and what you value, and and you're able to go back and really align everything out out of, out of that. I'm sure that some people can do that from the beginning. But I, I think it's hard without without getting a few reps in and, and seeing and feeling what works and and what doesn't work. And I know I'm sure we'll you know we'll talk about the four capacities. Yes. But I think a lot of this really comes into the spiritual capacity realm, and they they go in a specific uh, order. And 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 it's not it's not religious. But I when we think about our, our values and our core values, I, I'm a big believer that that we know them. Like we we're driving a car through a dark tunnel. And when we hit the wall, we know we've hit the wall. We bounce off the wall, and then we hit another wall. And we're going to get through the tunnel, but our car is pretty, pretty beat up. I, think, I don't think you invent your core values. I think they're there. But when you're able to actualize them, articulate them, put them into words, put them on your desk, it, it's like turning on the lights and painting the, the lines in, in terms of really being clear about the decisions you should make, the people you should work with, the mm-hmm. types of things you want to do, because you know what's going to – you're able to, you know what's going to feel good and not feel good in, in terms of, we know when we violate our core values, we, sorry, we feel when we violate our core values. I just don't think we can articulate the why in a lot of cases. Well, it takes, this is my point, that it takes some conscious, deliberate, intentional effort to, to step back and reflect on what those values are to see them. It right. doesn't happen by magic that you uncover them. You have to do some work to get there. Wouldn't you no, agree? definitely some work, and I tell everyone, unfortunately, there's no hacks in the book. Um, I spent a lot of time with our leaders and stuff working on core values. I think it's a six- to 12-month process mm-hmm. at, at, at best um, mm-hmm. if you're committed. But to me, there's nothing more powerful than doing that. If you want to talk about not you know, marrying the wrong person, taking the wrong job, moving to the wrong city, like th- these, are, these are all you know, decisions that would be made much better uh, if you had vis- clear visibility and articulation of your core values. Indeed. Indeed. Now, you also talk in the book about what you thought was a heart attack but turned out to be something else, and that that was an important uh, kind of inflection point for you. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So that, that was under my um, section on, on physical capacity. Uh, I, this was going through a period, uh, I think it was in 2009. Uh, so I, I, I always say that the three most stressful things you could, you could probably do are to start a business, uh, live with your parents, or have a child. Um, would you agree that those are up there with, <laughs> in the realm of... Those are all pretty intense. Take a lot. Yeah. So, yes. Or third, right? So, so I did all of them in the same year. Um, <laughs> So I was living with my parents while we built a house. I was uh, starting two businesses in, in what was becoming a historic um, recession uh, with, with uh, third, just had our third child. My grandmother just passed away, and I, I was just burning the candle at both sides. I was probably, you know, too much coffee in the morning, glass of wine at night, and, and one day I just, my heart was, uh, was racing. And um, I, I, you know, it just, and then I had some tingling in my sort of arm, and, and I, I really couldn't, I noticed I could, kind of couldn't get it to, to, to calm down. And then I started Googling, uh, <laughs> it's not, not what you should do, and you started talking about the signs of a heart attack, and um, I really, it just, it sort of became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And um, I, I actually called my wife, I, I 
and, and told her I wasn't. My my son was home with uh, a babysitter, uh, the, the the little one who was probably six or nine months at the time. And I told her I was like, I, "Something's wrong. You have to come home." And mm. just for for context, like I. I am the person that drives myself to the hospital. Like I don't ask for help. I'm very independent. Uh-huh. Like, so, so for my wife, like is for me to make that call, like she was pretty panicked. And I, I remember looking at my son passing out, thinking like that was my last moment on this earth. And ambulance came, mm. and uh, so I, I knew in the ambulance I, I was conscious and I was alive. But I figured I had some major residual uh, damage, and so it turns out it was just a massive panic attack. I was. Uh, driven by magnesium deficiency for a variety of reasons. I had been sick a few weeks before, and mm-hmm. uh, I uh, I got off like scot-free, which I felt like was a, a, a warning from somewhere. So, Bob, you were just explaining what you learned from that big panic attack about 10 years ago. What did you learn? Well, as I sit here at my desk, the bracelet is still up on my desk from that day. So, so I keep it in in front of me as a, as a reminder. Reminder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I started to get. I've never, I've never been unhealthy, but I, I, I started. I, I really got into yoga. I started to be much more conscious around uh, exercise. Mm-hmm. I, I started running for the first time. So, so one of the things interesting I realized, like, I don't enjoy running, but I enjoy the. Im- that running the impact that running has on me physiologically uh, so it's like I, I listen to podcasts and stuff while I run because mm-hmm. the act of running is not that enjoyable to me but but the effect of it on is really mm-hmm. clear mm-hmm. in terms of learning stress so yeah I, I, I really I got some perspective um, you know thinking about what was important and and family and business and and I, I made a more holistic commitment to sort of my my physical health and, mm-hmm. and stress and, and well-being. All right, let's get into these four capacities. Yeah. Um, bef- before we do, though, so Elevate, how'd you come up with the action steps for, for each of the different elements? I want readers, uh, listeners to, to be mindful of the very practical implications that are there as we, as we start now to walk through what the, the four um, capacities are. These action steps, where do they come from? Uh, it was a little bit of a combination. I think stuff that I had uh, I had learned, uh, heard best practices from other people, things that I had tried and had a lot of success with myself, particularly around uh, some of the core values, and realizing that you know what I wanted from the book. And there's basically each capacity section has action steps at the end that are things you could do tomorrow and things you could probably do over the next uh, quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a bit of a combination. I want to make sure that people felt like. You know, if they if the topic resonated with them, they that they could because it really is about just getting started. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not there's not there's not, not a book on hacks, but that, that they were there for them. So a lot of them were things that I have tried personally, or I've heard that other people have had a lot of success with, um, and and sort of pulled together some of my my favorites. Got it. All right, so let's talk about uh, these these four aspects of capacity that you have um, articulated sure. here capacity building what does that mean to you yeah so capacity building to me uh, it's I think the long definition it would be the method by which an individual seeks acquires and develops the skills and ability to consistently perform at a higher level in pursuit of their innate potential um, that that would be like the long. The short is like how you get better. I think it's actually the process of, mm-hmm. of how you get better because you know the word capacity means the ability or power to do, experience, or understand something. Um, so when I, what's interesting is when we talk about spiritual, intellectual, physical, and and emotional, and I'll, I'll give you my definitions on all of them in a second. Mm-hmm. But physical, we kind of understand more intuitively. So if there's a dumbbell lying next to me that I struggle to lift ten times. I know that if I probably lift it five to ten times every other day for 90 days, I will lift that thing with no problem, right? We, un- we understand, like, intuitively when you put in the work how you improve your physical capacity. Anyone I've seen try to run some event, 5K or 10K, if they just follow the training plan and do 5% more each day, they, al- they always get there. Like, it just <laughs> it, it works, right? I-, I-, I think in these other areas we tend to think that we have it or we don't have it, mm-hmm. not that it's a muscle that we can build, and, that- and that's – that's that's the 
the trick and, and the opportunity. So spiritual capacity is, is about understanding who you are, what you want most, and the standards you want to live by each day. So I, I think it really encompasses your your core values, your core purpose, or your why. I think those are those can be used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Intellectual capacity is about how you improve your ability to think, learn, plan, and execute with discipline. So this is really where you start taking the spiritual capacity and into the – this is like your personal operating system. So once you know what you want to do, how do you get better, get smarter, get faster. It's not about doing more. It's about being more efficient. So things that fall under this are having a growth mindset, being proactive, long and short-term goals, routine habits, and accountability. Physical, which we just talked about, capacity is health, well-being, and and your physical performance. So this is, you know, getting sleep, managing stress, uh, embracing competition, which I think is important, and then building uh, Mm -hmm. resilience. And then emotional, if the first three are really about you, I think emotional capacity is how you react to things outside of you, whether those are uh, challenging situations, um, it's your emotional mindset, the quality of your relationships, really like how you interact with, with the world around you. So these are all aspects of who we are as as a person, and, and it, it tracks very closely to how I think about the self-domain in yep. looking at the perspective of the whole life of the developing leader over the course of his or her life uh, in the context of, of work, home, community, the private self is this stuff. Now, how how do you see the relationship before we get into the details on each one? And, and, yeah. I, and I want to at least pull out some nuggets from, from each of these that, that listeners can use. But as you look at the whole set... Um, how do they relate to business and to leadership in life more generally? Yeah, well, I, I think that I think of them as this ball in four quadrants, and um, and you know they they are they're very interdependent, and, and I think mm-hmm. in, so. In life, if I think of in life, this is going to be your ability to kind of improve and get better, and as a leader, that's true as a leader. But it's also the methodology that we have used to build leadership and elevate other people in saying that um, what will make someone better in the work realm is not how do we make them a better monkey at the task that we need them to do. It's how do we increase their capacity overall at a rate ideally equal or greater than the, than the organization's growth. And then we get the work benefit uh, of that, and, um, and, and then they get the personal benefit of that. But I, because I... As I know, we share this a lot. People are the same. You know, they're not a different person at work or at home. So if they're if they're struggling with their health, if they're struggling with stress, if they're bad at prioritization, if they're good at time management at home, they're not going to walk into your organization and be great at all those things. So mm-hmm. I think these are these are very much holistic principles that that make us better overall, which intuitively make us better leaders or employees or parents or brothers or sisters or or kids, uh, whatever we are. Exactly. Uh, I could not agree more, which is, uh, you know, one of the many reasons why I, I'm such a fan of uh, what you're putting out there, Bob, for the world to understand better. As you say in your book, when you improve in one area, you begin to improve in all. And that's what you are asserting and what you've observed and certainly uh, is consistent with what I've seen in the world. Uh, Let's let's now dig into uh, at least the the first one a little further before we uh, take a few minutes yeah. to break. It starts with the spiritual. Why do you start there, and why is it so uh, well foundational? Yeah, to me, it's really the it's the north star. Uh, so I think you know I, I could give you all kinds of scenarios of what happens when when one of these is totally out of whack and the other are high performing. But mm-hmm. since we're starting here. Let's do that. So. And when you think about it, there's some people out there that are pretty good at intellectual, physical, and emotional. They are, they are having all this success. We see their business crushing it. We see, you know, all the success that they're having. And, and yet, you know, their kids don't talk to them. They're near divorce, you know, at home. And what they're actually doing in their business gives them zero enjoyment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so they are they're, they're living someone else's definition of, of, of success mm-hmm. and, and not getting any satisfaction from it. So that's where I think... If you want to have alignment, you want to make sure that you're driving your car in the in the right direction, and and, and so I, that's that's why I think if you can solve this first, 
it helps you know where your energy should be applied in, in, mm-hmm. in all the other realms. Because I know a lot of people that, that have that appearance of success, but they're really not happy. What they're doing doesn't, yeah. doesn't fulfill them or engage them in any way. There's a lot of that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why you know, your Friday Forward is so, is so popular. It's because people are hungry for models that help them to ask themselves that question. I thought I was doing everything that was supposed to make me feel successful. How come I feel shitty? Yeah. And the answer is probably they were there, whether it was a parent or someone else, it was someone else's definition of success that was put upon them. That's mm-hmm. not, this is why I think the difference between success and achievement, I mean, achievement is really the highest attainment of what you want. I think success is, 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 is I don't I think that word's tricky because I think a lot of the times, again, someone might say, Oh, Bob's really successful, but they wouldn't know if I was miserable. They wouldn't know if my wife, you know, is, is in the middle of leaving me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a very cursory view of I know. someone well, else's success. I try to I try to interrupt people when they talk about success and, and ask them, well, what do you mean by that? How are you defining it? Because it is used with great, you know, sort of facility and ease without really being examined. Because people think of success as material or financial when in fact that might there might be a great deal of achievement in the material world but uh, a hole in the spiritual side and so is that success I, I talked to someone recently I mean I, I think they realized their definition of success was figuring out how to unload everything in their life so they could go live in a cabin and write and do what they really wanted to do <laughs> right and, uh, that, was that me that you actually... were talking to Bob no that was not me <laughs> <laughs> so it's all of our secret desires. Yeah, what we really care about, and what I want to do when when we come back in a minute, we're going to take a short break here, is to is to explore a little further why. I mean, it's clear why that is the fundamental uh, capacity, but why it's so difficult. What challenges people face, what and, and how what you've discovered is helpful in uncovering some of the you know, the layers of inhibition that we load on ourselves or that are imposed on us that make it difficult to yeah. to to really be true uh, to what it is that we mean by success. All right, Bob, let's let's dig in further um, with respect to the spiritual dimension and finding your core purpose, your why. Your, your, your values that sort of define why you're here on this beautiful, fragile earth. Why is it that people find that to be a difficult thing to do? And how have you found it, uh, you know, the, the, the tools or the experiences that help people to get past those inhibitions? Yeah, I don't know why it's so hard. I don't know whether no one's ever taught them, encouraged them, discussed it. I think Simon Sinek... Uh, you know, helped a lot of people like talk about um, identifying the importance of why. I, I, I don't. I, I think actually, probably, I, I, I think identifying that the why was there w- was really great work. I don't. I don't think it was as easy for everyone to go just do that on their own. Um, and I think people people struggled with that. But I. So there's two things. There's sort of and in baseline, I think it's just your core values. What are the things that are important to you? If you can articulate a core purpose uh, that sits as sort of a thesis statement on top of the core values, that, that's great. But I, I, you know, probably one to a half percent of people have that, and maybe a percent or two can really articulate their core values. So even, even getting into that realm is great. What, what I found consistently, though, is when people have a strong core purpose, it often comes from formative childhood oh, yes. experience or experiences mm-hmm. or a place of pain. And I've, mm-hmm. I, I, I've learned to just ask the right questions because I hear it, like I pay attention to it. I mean, someone, I was at a, a dinner with a bunch of CEOs and they had one of these amazing, um, you know, uh, artists who kind of draws up the whole conversation as you're, mm-hmm. as you're speaking uh, a few months ago. And I said, well, how did you learn how to do this? And she said, my purpose is to help people be seen and heard. And, you know, someone who spends a lot of time in this realm, like, that's a very definitive statement, right? And I said, clear. well, let me ask you, and, and you don't have to answer this. I say this a lot, but people you always answer it. I said, does that come from somewhere personal for you? And mm-hmm. she said, yeah, I, 
stuttered from the time I was, you know, zero to 12 and really couldn't communicate mm. and was kind of ostracized for it. So I, in those cases, it's really clear to draw the line. I mm-hmm. think for a lot of other people, it's, it's harder. And, and look, the fact that a lot of these things come from pain doesn't mean that, uh, doesn't, doesn't mean you're a victim, doesn't mean you can't, it just, it's kind of about honoring your, your own truth uh, about your experiences, how they impact you, what they drove you to do. Um, I have found that the most passionate-driven people um, had a very personal uh, interaction with what it is they're passionate about, right? You, you yep. become very passionate about that disease when someone in your family is, is affected by mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, and it takes no small measure of courage to look inside and to uncover the sources of what it is that, that really drives you. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's it, yeah, it's an introspective process. About mm-hmm. and are you willing to do it, and are you willing to then share that with others? And I, it's it's incredibly empowering. I'm, I'll, I put up my core values in any conference or organization or thing. It's like, look here, this is me. Like this is mm-hmm. who I am. Mm-hmm. This is why you want to hire me. This is why you not want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things we recently did at our company, and this I think it ties a little bit into spiritual and a little into emotional. Uh, we took a risk with this, but um, do you know someone named Philip McKernan? Have you heard of him? No, I have not. So, so Philip uh, is an incredible world-class coach. He's kind of a clarity coach on helping people understand and communicate their truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, he runs this initiative called One Last Talk. So what is the, if you're going to leave this world tomorrow, what is the talk that you really need to, to give? Um, and he's he's organized these events all around the world, and he coached people, and we know he really wanted to do this in organizations, um, and, and I had met him and talked to him, and I had worked with him one-on-one. He was incredibly helpful to me because he just gets to the point of things. And so at our annual retreat two weeks ago, we said we said to everyone, hey, we're going to bring in um, our theme, actually, which is one of our core values, own it. We're going to bring in Philip, uh, and then we're going to offer people the opportunity to get coached by a world-class person and give their one last talk to the entire organization oh, wow. um credible vulnerability yeah. you know, and, and 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 really opening up and they were they were incredible speeches and i'm sure they um, were riveting they, yeah and 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 there was a lot of motion in the room mm-hmm. the sharing that went on after it the connections that me, people made to the things that they talked about that no one would have ever known you know not. otherwise i mean that was to me, you know, from an emotional capacity standpoint, it just totally changed a lot of the interactions and how mm-hmm. people saw people on the team and exchanged them. And I, and you could actually see, you know, what these stories and how these these help define who these people are and how they act and how they show up at mm-hmm. work or or at home. Uh, I've got another sixteen or so questions about the spiritual dim- dimension, but yeah. I wanna I wanna get to the other three as well. We've touched on them and in little bits here and you've just offered a one way to get at you know your own spiritual capacity you know elevation there are others in your book let's get to the intellectual uh, dimension talk about that and why that's so important and what what your favorite um action step is uh in that piece of the puzzle sure yeah, look, all your listeners are, are, are investing in their intellectual capacity, right? People who listen to podcasts and radio shows and want to learn and want to get better. You know, it's the people who say, oh, I'm smarter, I'm not smart, you know, that really have the intellectual capacity is sort of, they believe it's, it's fixed. Um, one, of, one of my favorite tricks, so I used to say that um, I, I was really good at setting goals. I'd set all these one-year goals. They were totally incongruous. I would hit them. I would set new ones. It felt really be good to like crushing these goals, but they really weren't in alignment. So if you think about intellectual capacity, I, I think it's about how to get what you want most. And so uh, what I came to realize is that actually your one-year goals should help you achieve your five-year goals. Your five-year goals should help you achieve your 10-year goals. When you start talking about long-term goals, they should actually help you achieve your core purpose or core values mm-hmm. or, or be in service of it so that you don't have this, oh, I hit my... Like, if my goal is to make a contribution and, and improve the lives of a million people, then I have a reason why I want to make $50 million, right? So I can have that impact. Not that I want to make $50 million and then I, I'm hollow and I don't know why I, I had it. So what I, what, I, I, what I realize is this alignment exercise of sort of 
setting these long-term goals based on your value and purpose, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. breaking them down into then, you know, the three-year, the five-year, the quarterly, and and then slowly by surely you are going in, in, in the right direction and you're really motivated to do that. So that that alignment is, is powerful. And there's a great kind of um, – there's a great story uh, attributed to Warren Buffett that is there's some debate on on whether it's uh, uh, you know whether it's uh, fully true. I, I read both sides of it, but talked about how Warren Buffett was um, talking to his pilot about goal setting, and he said, uh, "Mike, you know, make a list of the 25 things you want most in life," and he made that list. And then when and they said, "Look, and what are the five on this list that you really want most?" And he went over the five, and then and Mike was saying how yeah he's going to go after the five, and then he's also going to work on these other twenty, and and Buffett said to him no 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 Mike you don't get it like that twenty that list of twenty is now your do not do at all costs mm-hmm. until you've done the five or you won't get what you want most, uh, and and to me that shows the, the the focus and the discipline and again just how do we how do we learn and improve and because the intellectual capacity is different for each person of course. Right, based on what it is that you want to contingent achieve, on your where, your goals, your purpose. Right, like what? Then where do you want to be disciplined about? And mm-hmm. you know, one of the interesting things about resilience, which which I think is both physical and emotional, is, and 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 there's a great passage in the book of, uh, about Elizabeth Warren who had this quote, which is, we need to decide where we want to be resilient, where it matters to us, and where we just need to give up because we don't care about it and move and mm-hmm. move on. And that's the difference of I think where you would apply you know, intellectual capacity. So there's the spiritual domain. There is the intellectual, the physical. We talked a little bit about that before. Um, What else do you want to make sure in just a a minute or two listeners take away from just the, you know, the key idea in focusing on the physical? Yeah, I mean, you got one one vehicle to take you through life. So don't don't put crappy gas in it and, uh, (laughs) you know, not, not, keep it maintained. Um, so I, I think there's both, you know, the physical health, but the wellness aspects is, as you know, are really big. I mean, getting enough sleep, um, stress, you know, we are, you know, in talking to some friends of mine who are world-class experts on stress, you know, what they explained is like, we are operating in flight or fight or flight mode that was biologically designed millions of years ago. And, and it's not designed for like 20th, you know, 21st century stress. Mm-hmm. Um, it is designed to like save your life from a, a bear that's attacking you. Right. So you know when we have too many things on our to-do list and and our cortisol is firing and we're getting stressed and we're engaging our flight of fight or flight mode all day, it's making us physically un- unhealthy. Um, and I think this is why you see such a push towards um, you know meditation yeah. and, and mindfulness and trying to like undo the effects on this. I mean, you know, you might be literally having. Stress is an internal response to an external event, right? It's, uh, one of mentor of mine always offers $10,000 to a group of people for someone that can go out and buy a can of stress, you know, to make the point that it is not an external thing. It is an internal thing. Mm-hmm. So, so someone could have... That's you, good. You, I like really, that. Yeah. It's very funny. Uh-huh. It, 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 well, it, it captures well that this is uh, something inside you. Right, because look... Person A could be really stressed about where they're finding their meal or sleeping mm-hmm. tonight, and Person B could be really stressed about the four, you know, multi-million-dollar houses they have and their maids and their private chefs, and mm-hmm. it's it's actually producing the same biological uh, re- response in them. So mm-hmm. um, it's entirely it, subjective. Yeah, it's very subjective what drives our body into stress, mm-hmm. but. It's not meant to live in that mode because it does things that are meant to like save our life, not not running all day long. Yes. So being being aware of that and then caring for this this one vehicle, Bob. You must be a car guy because there's a lot of car analogies in what you're thinking about. But I'm actually I'm, not a car guy. All right, I'm going to set that aside. Tangible, it's a tangible <laughs> object for me, but I don't know. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I, the last piece that we're going to focus on is the, the fourth dimension, the emotional. What's, what's essential about that in terms of growing your capacity as, a, as an emotionally healthy and mature leader in the different parts of your life? Yeah, so particularly if you become a leader, right, you're dealing with a lot of other people. And, and so two of the big components to me in this are, are how you react to external events and, and just 
the people you surround yourself with? Do they elevate you? Do they bring you down? Do they drain you? Like, do you have all these energy vampires in your work or professional life? Because that's exhausting. And, you know, one of my tests of emotional capacity is, is these days is the, is the weather. Like, huh? are, you know, people who are generally on the weather apps all day long, stressed about if it's going to rain, like things oh, wow. that they do not control. People right? do that? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know anyone who does that. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay, people, so if you're listening, folks, and you're hooked on the weather app, Bob Glazer says, get off. Am I right? I, or, or say, hey, it's going to rain. I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to get my raincoat. <laughs> like, I'm not going to... I can't control it, right? I just, mm. the, 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 the same person who made the stress comment was actually speaking to a bunch of our leaders recently and said, let me, let me ask you a question. He goes, if you control it, why would you stress about it? Because you control it. And if you don't control it, why would you stress about it? Because you don't control it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really put in perspective, I think a lot of times we confuse like the action with the reaction, right? So if I get into a car crash. Um, there you go they, again. I, I, I can't. I can't control that. Maybe I'll have to, I'll have to look into this. No, no, it's good. Uh, but, but I'm just I, I, helping I, you see I, it. I can control what comes next. I, uh-huh. The actual thing happened to me, but I control what comes next. Mm-hmm. So he, here's a great example, and, and and I'll make myself the 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 least emotional capacity person in this example. Okay. So you and I see each other at nine o'clock in the morning, and we have a difficult discussion that goes on from nine o'clock to nine o five. You are like your, your intellectual and emotional capacity are high. You know how to have these conversations. You've actually you've read a lot of stuff. You listen to Kim Scott. You listen to Patty McCord. Like you've you've actually increased your ability to handle these things because you have a, a framework. And so by nine oh five, you went back to your job and you were teaching and did the podcast and never thought about me. And the rest of the day, I'm like reaping stew. Oh, and I'm replaying the conversation again, and it ruins like my entire day. Mm-hmm. Right. That to me is the is the quintessential no car example, mm-hmm. but difference between uh, difference in emotional capacity and, yeah. and and why we talk about time in the day and you know, how does this person get more done? Like I, I I let we experienced the same five minute incident, and you went on with your day and did everything you needed to do, and I let that like just run my day for the rest of the day. It's the serenity prayer, right? It's the essential yeah. idea that you have to try to learn over the course of your life how to how to be more discerning in in figuring out what you can and can't control and then act accordingly right yeah yeah it, it is it is what you control and a lot of it is also the company you keep right i mm-hmm. mean if you if you keep company who with people choose. who are who are aspiring and who energize you or whatever versus people that just exhaust you mm-hmm. um you know that that goes a long way towards towards uh impacting those absolutely those other areas. even your family right yeah i mean i said this in the book and i feel fortunate not to be in this situation but in talking to a lot of people you know there's a lot of guilt and and, and i i just think there are no sacred cows if someone in my family like made me feel terrible like i i just would withdraw myself mm-hmm. from that relationships I, I i just to me it's sort of the abuser mentality if, if if you i know there's some people out there who believe that a family is absolute but but if you ever let someone know that like their behavior would go unchecked, then you're essentially giving permission for that behavior. It's like saying, I would never leave no matter what you did to me. Um, I, I just think that's, that's a pretense for people mm-hmm. to behave pretty poorly. So let's stay on this theme as we near our, our conclusion, and that is what you've learned about leadership and capacity enhancement and elevation that informs how you show up in your own family of creation, the, you know, you, the one that you've made. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I am definitely a better husband and a better father when I am being loyal to my core values, when I'm doing things with my wife or my kids that really, like, let me shine in, in, in those values. Uh, and so, so part of that for me, particularly with my kids, has, has sort of given myself permission to, to, to do the things that I'm, I'm, I'm good at and not feel as guilty about the things that I'm naturally not as good at. And fortunately, those are a lot of things that my wife is very good at. Um, Complimentary and, and, skills makes for a good yeah. team, Bob. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, um, I, I, that's what I realize. Like the activities mm-hmm. that I'm doing with them, like when, I, when, I, when they are sort of – when, when they're really aligned, and look, there's there's stuff that you have to do, but I, I've, I've I've given 
myself permission to 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 sort of not worry as much about about the other stuff. And again, that's where that is where we are are are, are very aligned. But I think it's interesting from a parental standpoint too. If you yeah. Uh, if you were able to articulate your core values and then had to pick the time and activities you wanted to spend with your kids or your spouse or your partner, and you looked at that list, you would show up better for those activities. You'd be excited about them and 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 uh, and all this stuff. Look, I I I, I was <laughs> I thought it was a book. I am not good at attention. I am not good at sitting and still in class and I spending this. So like. Like back to school nights, like not my thing. Like I just it, and, and yeah, I go, but like if 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 there's something we have to split it up, and and uh, you know, then then I I've stopped giving the guilt on, on on not going to some of these things because I find I'm sitting in the room, but I'm not. My head is not in the room. Hmm. And everybody's cool with that. No, I'm sure not everyone is cool with that. But 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 my wife and I have talked about it, mm-hmm. and and you know, I think my kids understand. You know, we talk a lot about about strengths and mm-hmm. and. Um, you know what 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 we're all uh, good at. So I think I think it's just you got to give your permission to, to to yourself to give up the stuff that you're not good at and that you don't want to be good at. Yeah, I think that is a core message that I take away from your brilliant work, Bob, and that is uh, self acceptance, right? Yeah, knowing and accepting who you are for who you are. Your, your strength. I interviewed someone yesterday. Dave Randali is a great. Uh, book the freak factor, but he has great exercises. That when you list all these strengths and weaknesses on different pages, you can match them all up, right? And and your strength is your weakness, sort of five degrees removed. And and I think being being aware of that and knowing again, a lot of times in relationships, like we're we're attracted to the difference, and then that difference five degrees off is what drives us crazy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in some mm-hmm. of the, some of the situations. But I I think being aware of that is key. Asking someone to do something they're really not good at or don't want to do is, is usually not a, a, a great strategy. Those are wise words, Bob. We only have a minute or so left. Um, what is it that you wish for your children and the next generation more generally? Uh, yeah, what I wish for uh, anyone, particularly my children, is to you know figure out what it is they care at and they're passionate, what they want to be great at, and then you know to help them have the tools and the support to do that. One of, one of my favorite phrases, my sort of parenting methodology that I've adopted is that you can, and I, I think this sort of bridges two different camps of, of I think there's a camp out there that's overly ap, a, aspirational and, and not pragmatic <laughs> with, with their children about you can do anything you want. And then there's another where they're telling their kids what they can't do, uh, and, and, and which I also think is really uh, damaging. So I've bridged those to a phrase, which is you, you can have anything uh, that you desire if you're willing to do what's required. Um, so with my kids, you know, we're, we're, we're very honest. Oh, you want to be an astronaut? Here's what it takes. You want to make varsity soccer? Like, here's what it takes. And, and, and you need to be the one to want to do it. So I, I, I encourage them that they can do anything, but I'm also very, and we are very realistic with them about mm-hmm. what it takes to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if you want to be an astronaut, like wishing to be an astronaut is not, it's not going to get you to space. <laughs> no, but we do need people going out there. Uh, so I hope uh, if, that's, if that's the case in your family, that that's something no, that is... The case we're, oh. we're not very scientifically involved. Okay, so all right. I'm right. trying to get away from a car metaphor. So, you know, <laughs> well done, Bob. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show, Bob. Tell us... Where is the best place for listeners to learn more about you, about Acceleration Partners, and about the book? Sure. Uh, if they want to learn about me and the book and Friday Forward and podcast and everything, it's now all integrated in one place. Uh, so you can get that all at robertglazer.com. That's G-L-A-Z-E-R. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shortcut, for you can Google Friday Forward, too, and you'll, you'll probably find it uh, faster than typing it in. Uh, if you want to learn more about what we do at Acceleration Partners, that's at accelerationpartners.com. Lastly, I see that you are donating some of your proceeds to Build.org in 20 seconds. Why are you doing that? Yeah, Build, build is a great organization that just uh, very aligned with my values that is all about capacity building in high school kids, uh, showing that, teaching them an entrepreneurial curriculum which, which provides context for uh, what they're learning in the classroom and the kids who add this entrepreneurial uh, 
curriculum um, to their school mm-hmm. graduate at considerably higher rates than other other kids in the same school. So well done. it's an amazing program that, that's building capacity. Fantastic. Build.org. Bob Glazer, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate thank, it. Thank you, Stu. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bob Glazer and that it sparked your imagination about why it's essential to grow continually, grow your capacity as a leader, and how you might take a step forward in doing so. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Take a minute to just step back and ask yourself, How are things going in the spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional aspects of your life? About which of these four do you feel best, and about which one do you feel worst? Choose which one you'd like to try to elevate, because you think that by doing so, you would make your work and the rest of your life a bit better. And demonstrably so. Then, think of some small, within-your-grasp experiment, something new that you might try, some new activity or practice that you think would be both fun and that you expect would fruitfully boost one or more of these four capacities. Maybe the one that you think is most in need of some elevation. Let me know what you discover. I'd love to hear from you. So get in touch with me. It's friedman.wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for on-air broadcasts of Work and Life on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe Rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.